All right, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, let's stop right there. So there's this guy, Nicodemus, right? He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, his, he has a very specific worldview, and his worldview is based on his faith. And his faith is very rich, ritualistic. It's very traditional. It has many rules and laws that he needs to follow. In fact, the word Pharisee, in and of itself, they believe has a meaning of to be separate or, or separate ones. And so they called themselves Pharisees because really common folk, folk like us, could not do, could not live the way that these men lived. They, they, they not only obeyed the Hebrew law of the Old Testament, but they also had something called the tradition of the elders that they, that they followed. Now, the tradition of the elders would kind of be like the just-in-case stuff. Okay, we have this law in the Old Testament. Moses gave us this law, but, you know, we got to do these other 15 things just in case because we don't want to mess up. And there's laws, there's things like how long you can sleep, how long you can sleep on each side, you'd have to turn, and, and like what foot has to hit the floor in the morning before the other one. There's actually a tradition of the elder that says this, that on the Sabbath, a Pharisee cannot spit. Now, because if you spit you will spit into the dirt. And when the spit mixes with the dirt, you will create mud. And the mud is used in making bricks. And the mud is used in mortar. And mud is used in building. And so if you spit on the Sabbath and you make mud, there's a chance that you just might be working on the Sabbath. And to work on the Sabbath is a sin. And so they would not spit. And so there's all these rules. This is a very intense way of living every day. And that's why they call themselves the Pharisees. They lived a very, very separate life. It's a very external religion, a very external way of, of, of getting close to God. They believed that they had to follow all these things to gain holiness, that they could come into the presence of God. And because of this, because they were so extreme, and how they followed the law, how they followed the, the tradition of the elders, um, they were considered experts. These were scholars. Okay? This is who Nicodemus is. Now, he's also, the text also tells us that he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. It's probably called the Sanhedrin. This is about 71 guys that would get together. These are like the cream of the crop. These are sages. They would meet every day in the temple. And they would pray, and they would rule on things of Judaism. They would look at the ritualistic law, the traditions. They would make sure that everybody's trying to, that everybody is supposed to be doing these things. They would, they would um, look at tithing, make sure people would be tithing. They would prepare the Torah scrolls before they were brought out to other synagogues and other temples. They would, um, they would uh, res- uh, resolve criminal matters. Adulter- adulterous wives would be tried before this group of 71 men. And they were trying people in religious matters. Now, they had, if you went against them, they could have you killed. So, here's a ruling. You go, yeah, I don't think that's a good ruling. Okay, take him out, throw rocks at him until he's dead. This is the power that these guys had. Up until about 30 AD. At th- around 30 AD, scholars seem to think that they, they did not have that power anymore. Maybe it's because God's plan was to bring Jesus on the scene and Jesus had to die to fulfill all of the scripture. So they lose this, but they still maintained 
their control over the Jewish people in the sense of religious matters, in the sense of everyday life, in the sense of criminal matters. They were the ones, the 71 group of guys. Now, the Pharisees, they would bump heads with these dudes called the Sadducees. Sadducees were um, a very upper, elite, wealthy group. They controlled the temple. They had lots of money. But the Sadducees, they were kind of whack. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in the devil. They didn't believe in life after death, all these things. So they would just constantly bump heads. They were, again, very upper crusty. They had lots of money. But now the Pharisees, they were kind of, um, they were middle class guys. But these guys were open to religious innovation. So they would have listened to maybe what Jesus had to say. And so we find Nicodemus going to see Jesus. There was a man, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So here is this Pharisee, here is this member of the Sanhedrin, here is this religious leader, and he's coming to Jesus at night. Now, I believe that the scripture, every word in the scripture, is there, is put there for a a meaning, it has a purpose. It's just not happenstance that the words are there. And And the story tells us, the text tells us that he comes at night. Now, Um, There's a lot of speculation why. And one of the main ones is, is maybe he's afraid, right? Here's this guy. Here is Nicodemus. He is a religious scholar. He is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And he is coming to go to speak to Jesus. And he doesn't want anybody to see him going to see this guy. This guy is a scholar. He's coming to a Galilean who has no education and who is now starting to buck the entire system. That that was my people right there. I'm sorry. Um, Buck the entire system that Nicodemus has lived so long engaging. And so he comes to him at night because maybe he just doesn't want people to see him. He doesn't want the community to see him. He doesn't want his family to see him. And Lord, God forbid, if the Sanhedrin people see him. And so he comes to him at night. Now, Nicodemus' story is our story. And our story is the story of Nicodemus. Because how many times do we live our faith in night? I mean, maybe maybe not literally at night, but but, but when we leave the, the protection of the church family, when we leave the church walls and we get out there into the world, sometimes our faith becomes our little secret. And and I don't and maybe little secret is 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 uh is too strong of a phrase, but but how many really engage their faith, living it out loud when they get out those walls? And so our story is Nicodemus' story. His story is our story. And, and here's the thing. I do not believe that most of us are going to deny Christ. This is not what I'm saying. I don't believe we're out there going, I ain't telling anybody I'm a Jesus follower. They're going to be thinking, oh, I'm freaks. This, this, this is not what I mean. I mean, most of us who have, have been hanging around church world know the verses in Matthew 10 and Luke 12, right? I mean, do we? Yeah. You don't. I do. <laughs> in, in there, Jesus says, listen, if you acknowledge me publicly before God, I'll acknowledge you. I mean, publicly acknowledge me in public, I will acknowledge you before God. But if you deny me in public, I will deny you before God. Man, those are some harsh, harsh words. 
So I don't believe for a minute that, that most of us are going to go out there. Are you a Jesus follower? Uh-uh, not me. I, I, think, I think we've got that covered. But I think we've all been in that place in our life. Whether it's at the family picnic or it's, it's at your job where it's just easier to keep your mouth shut. It's just easier not to engage in that conversation. It's just easier not to go head-to-head with Uncle Earl because he just wants to thump on you because he heard you go to church. And how's church treating you, Christian boy? You know, it's, sometimes it's just easier to be quiet. And so sometimes we live our faith at night. And, and, and I can't help but wonder is, is maybe we've been so indoctrinated with all the mainstream evangelical caca that flies around. That... <laughs> it's, a, it's actually not in my notes. Um, you know, there, there, there's, like a hang, there's like a pastoral hangover. And you wake up Monday morning and you go, did I really say that? Okay, so, and, and maybe we're so indoctrinated with all that evangelical stuff um, that, that we, we can't even enter into a dialogue with someone. And it's always, it, we just, it, instead of causing an argument, we can't even just enter into a dialogue and talk and discuss. And maybe we just don't like confrontation. I'm not sure why it always has to end up in confrontation. But, but And so, like Nicodemus, sometimes we live our faith at night. We come to Jesus when no one's looking, when it's safe, when we're with the right people. Or maybe, maybe Nicodemus is not, maybe he's not afraid at all. Maybe fear has nothing to do with it. Maybe he's coming at night because during the day, Jesus has got all these people flying around him. He's just like mobbed all the time. He's got this following. People are, are following him around and they want to touch him. They want, I mean, even the disciples like, get the kids away from the man. He's like, no, oh, don't do that. But, but so, so there's all these people flying around him. Maybe, maybe Nicodemus is just avoiding the crowds because, man, the people that Jesus attracted, gluttons, drunks, prostitutes, you know, the, the bad boy Jewish boys that would roll their cigarettes up in their sleeves. Those, those types, uneducated, common fishermen. These are the people that hung around Jesus. And maybe Nicodemus just wants to avoid them, those people. Because he's, he's a Pharisee. He is, he is a separate one. His religion is far superior than those common folk who go to Jesus. He would not even give the time of day to a prostitute. He would be the first one to pick up a rock and throw it at her. And so maybe he's just like, you know, it's just better that I, that I, that I just stay away from that. I mean, these people, these people are the reason why the Romans have occupied the Jews. It's their sin, not ours. This is his mindset. This is his mentality. But how often do we approach Jesus that way? We love praise and worship nights. Like to go hear the prophetic guy speak. Give me the conferences, man. I need to go to 17 conferences every year. And I'm going up front 15 out of 17. Now listen, those things aren't bad. Believe me, I'm not mocking them at all. There, there's a place in our culture for men and women of God to come together in a, in a big a big group. 
But how often do we just focus on filling our own bellies at the expense? I mean, we know that people need Jesus out in the world. We know this, but we're so busy pouring into us, filling us, that either we have no time for those people, or man, you know, we, just, we just don't care. And we end up coming to Jesus at night. This year, I've, I was contacted by an agency called Atlantic Bridge. Um, they're out of the Netherlands. I've done work with them since 2001. I was also contacted by an agency called the Sea Project. The Sea Project is a, a national organization that's working in affiliation with the YMCA's. And they are trying to put the C back into YMCA. They are trying to bring the YMCA back to its Christian heritage and its Christian roots. And they've asked me to lead a group of 20-something-year-olds to Germany in the summertime to get into the German schools and begin to engage them in conversation. Because here's a very interesting thing. YMCA's in in Germany. There's 2,200 of them. Okay? Not one YMCA in Germany has a swimming pool. And only a handful, and I'm not sure how much a handful is, has a gym. But every YMCA in the country of Germany, this is what I'm told, have Bible studies. They have engaged their Christian heritage. And what what they've asked me to do is lead this group of young people to begin to get into the high schools and begin dialogue and conversation with these people, kind of tilling the soil so the YMCA can come and step in and speak to them and bring them into Bible studies and discipleship programs. And we'll be spending time with skaters. We'll be in uh, the city of Nuremberg. And Nuremberg, the YMCA is on one side of the street and the National Museum is on the other side of the street and all these skaters are flying around and the museum hates the skaters and the skaters hate the museum and everybody's up in, a, up in an uproar over this and they've asked our team to come in and kind of listen in to their conversations and their talks between the city and the museum and the skaters. And so this summer I will kind of be traveling to Europe and then after that I will teach at an international youth festival in Hungary. Teenagers from 10 different countries converge. I'll have that opportunity to speak into them. But there was a woman who um, went to the website and, and she had some questions. She wanted to travel. She's a, a member of, of Norwalk YMCA and she wanted to bring her daughter. And uh, she wanted to, to ask me some questions about this whole trip and what it looked like. So I drove to Norwalk and I met with them. I met with her and I met with this, uh, this girl named uh, Rebecca Wagner. She's from the Ger- Germany. She's from the German YMCA. And um, she's kind of planning everything over here. And we sit down and we begin to chat. And, and I f- found out that, th- that she has these reservations. Um, she's been, you remember Miguel? She has been to Honduras with Miguel on, on his missions trips. And she said to me, she said, well, you know, what's the goal for salvations for our trip? I mean, I knew I was in trouble right there. I'm like, uh, what, what do you mean salvations? She goes, well, you know, how many people are we going to get saved? I said, well, what's, what's saved? I mean, are you talking how many people are we going to get to say a prayer? She goes, yeah, none. She says, well, that's not a real missions trip. I said, really? For real? She goes, well, you know, I mean, we were in Honduras, and, you know, Honduras is, Honduras is a very churchy trip. You go, to, you go to church like four times in the week, and you're doing, everything is revolving around church. I said, well, listen, the Honduran people need Jesus, and so do these skaters 
in front of Germany or in front of the YMCA in Germany. They need Jesus too. And, and there's different ways of engaging cultures. And if you go in thumping Bible and, and, and scripture, and if you come in and you're telling them you're talking fire and brimstone, guess what? They're going to throw rocks at you and you've ended the conversation. And she said to me, that's not a real missions trip. I'm like, well, maybe you should stay home. And so you see, but for us, don't we sometimes engage our faith when it's comfortable for us? We engage our faith when we want to and with who we want to. And, you know, you know we pick our people. Yeah, I, I can deal with those, but those people, nah, you know, yeah, they're not worth it. But so, so we're not so different from Nicodemus, are we? I mean, we sometimes live our faith in the night out of fear. And sometimes we live our faith in the night out of it's just so easier, so much easier to deal with our faith the way we want to. And it almost becomes exclusive to us. Or maybe, maybe this whole night idea is, is a metaphor. Nicodemus is living in the dark and, and he, he comes to Jesus in the darkness and Jesus is the light and the light and the darkness meet. And it didn't sound good when I was practicing my room either, so never mind. So that's a dumb one. So, but, but, so we are engaging our faith many times exactly the way Nicodemus does. And for how long have we read that story and looked down our nose at him? See, his story is our story. And our story is his story. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He approaches Jesus really nice, doesn't he? He's like, hey, Jesus, you know, calls him teacher, a term of respect. We know that you're from God. You can't be doing all this stuff and like God not be with you. Now, remember, Nicodemus is coming from a faith tradition, a worldview that is submerged in doing. You have to do stuff and you have to do stuff and you have to follow the laws and follow the ritual and follow traditions. And you can't spit on the Sabbath and all of these other things that he has poured his entire life into. And he notices what Jesus is doing. He takes notice that Jesus is doing all of this really cool stuff. And obviously that God is with him. No other person can be doing this unless God is with him. And he recognizes that. And he goes to Jesus, wow. You know, teacher, we, we know that God is with you. And, and I can't help but to think that he wanted to say something else. I, I mean, look at, look at the text. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And, and, he, and he, 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 it's like he comes and he gives this nice greeting. And it's almost like he's cut off. And, I, and, I, and I, I wonder if he really wanted to ask questions. I wonder if he's like, and so Jesus, who are you? I mean, who are you really? And, and how do you do the stuff that you actually do? I mean, what's this, what's this all about? I mean, what rituals are you keeping? What, how are you following the traditions of the elders? I mean, obviously you are, you are walking in some kind of power and authority that, that we've never seen. You see, there's a common question between rabbis and Pharisees of, of Jesus' day, these religious elite. What are the most important laws that we have to follow? What are the ones that take precedent over the other ones? And there's this constant dialogue. And Nicodemus wants to know, like, how are you doing all this? 
Are, are we missing something? Are, are, are we not following these laws, these traditions, these rituals correctly because we don't walk in that power, but it seems that you do. And I can't help but to think these are all these things flying around in his head. But he never really gets to ask. Jesus just like cuts him off quick. It's almost like, like Jesus knew what he was going to say. And this is what he says. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Jesus drops the bomb on him. Like, here's Nicodemus, he's trying to be all nice, and, and he's a Pharisee, and he's coming to this, this guy, this nobody, that Jesus didn't go through the system, he's got no education, and there's, a, there's some respectfulness going on there. And Jesus just thumps him in one sentence. He deflates everything that Nicodemus believes in. He deflates everything that he has dedicated his life to in one sentence, turns it upside down. And now says all that stuff, yeah, not so much. It is the power of God, the power of God that changes stuff. And he says, you, Nicodemus, have to be born again. Another translation would be born from above, but that doesn't look good on T-shirts and stuff. You know, are you a born from above Christian? No, I'm, you know, born again. We like that one. So he says, you have to be born again. Jesus is saying, listen teacher of Israel, listen to me. I'm going to tell you some truth. If you want to see the kingdom of God in your life, if you want to see the power of God in your life, everything has to get new inside of you. Everything has to go back to the very beginning. Things have to change and it has to change from the inside. You need to be reborn. And here's his response. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. See, here's where I think that Nicodemus gets a bad rap. We read this story and say, duh. Because we read it from like Christian perspective, you know. Duh, Nicodemus. I don't think he's being that stupid. I don't think that we're, I think we're giving him a lot less credit than he deserves. This guy is a scholar. This guy has memorized chapter and verse the entire Old Testament. He has been arguing and debating the scripture ever since he can read and write. He is no dumb person. And here's what he believes. Nicodemus knows that people are the sum of all their yesterdays. This is a very common Jewish uh, train of thought, that we are the sum of all our yesterdays. Everything that we've experienced in the past has shaped who you are this very moment. So we are just, all of our hopes and dreams and fears and our good habits and our bad habits and our certainties and our doubts and our uncertainties, they're all just thrown into this big mixing bowl, stirred up and poured out, and this is who we are today. We are the sum of all our yesterdays. Nicodemus, he knows this. I can't help but to think if he's just like, how awesome it would be to erase a lifetime junk. 
how awesome it would be just to, to completely do away with all of the negative junk in our life and just have the positive. I wonder how different we would look. Nicodemus understands that. And he also understands that you cannot erase a lifetime of experiences. They just don't go away. They'll always be there. Maybe you can have help in how you deal with those things, but they're always a part of you. And so if a lesser miracle of rebirth, physical, born again, can't happen, how in the world can you remake the very essence of a person? How can a person be entirely and completely regenerated? It's impossible. Or is it? Continue on, verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus says, all right, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you some truth here. Listen up, because this ain't no joke. To see the activity of God around you, to walk in the power of God, to do the things that I'm doing, you need to be born of water And you need to be born of spirit. Now, very clear statement from Jesus. I get it. Don't you all? Liars. So this idea of water has been tossed around for a long time. What does does it mean to be born of water? I mean, is it like purification? Because Nicodemus would have known about Jewish purification rituals and to become clean before God and you have to go through all of these things. But... I don't think so. And is it is it baptism? I mean, I've, heard, I've read some stuff on that. It's it's Jesus saying you've got to be baptized, but I don't think so. Baptism doesn't bring you a, a place of to a place of salvation. And, and Nicodemus would have no idea what baptism really is. And so Jesus doesn't want to confuse him. He wants to enlighten him. So so I don't think it has anything to do with baptism. Here's my sense. Here's what I think. In in ancient texts. Um, not only in Hebrew, but but many other texts of this time, uh, the term water or rain or dew or or drop, it could be. It was very often used to mean um, the male seed. Y'all tracking on that? Don't make me explain that. My daughter's here. Okay. So 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 Nicodemus would have understood this. He would have understood this analogy of of, of what Jesus is talking about. And, and so it could mean a, a physical birth. Jesus says, first, you got to be born physically. And then you got to be born of the Spirit. But I don't buy that either. Because I'm not thinking Jesus needs to state the obvious. Because then Nicodemus would be like, duh. Yes, I know we have to be born physically. Here's, here's my sense. The way the, way the, the way the sentence is all laid out, in the Greek, and I'm going to get a little geeky on you for a second here, but there's no article for both of those nouns. There's no article for the word water, and there's no article for the word spirit. So a better reading of this is you would have to be born of water spirit. 
or spiritual water or spiritual seed. You see, I don't think Jesus is talking anything about the physical. He's talking about a spiritual kingdom and you have to be regenerated, reborn in here. And that only comes from there. That only comes from God. Something different has to take place inside you, in your spirit, in your soul, and that thing happens. The catalyst is the very spirit of God. And Jesus says, you have to be born from that. Flesh, he says, flesh produces flesh. A man and a woman come together, they produce babies. Flesh produces flesh, but spirit produces spirit. Jesus is talking about the spiritual kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, is kicking the door open and engaging the divine in the everyday. And we can read, this has got to be freaking Nicodemus out. I mean, I can imagine the look on his face like, you mean, you mean to tell me, Jesus, all of the stuff that I have dedicated my life to is, is worthless? All of the things that I have tried not to do for God, it, it doesn't count? You mean to tell me that I, I don't spit on Sunday and that doesn't give me any points in heaven? Come on. And this has got to be, this has got to be rubbing him just a little bit wrong here. He has dedicated everything. We don't know the dedication that this man has given to following his idea of who God is. Everything in his being is living for God. And Jesus just comes in and goes, not so much. You, my friend, Nicodemus, teacher of Israel, you need to be spiritually reborn. Reborn. I love this verse. You should not be surprised at me saying... You must be born again. Because I think his jaw is hanging here. And Jesus sees it and goes, dude, don't be so shocked. See, Nicodemus, he, I, don't, I think he knows what Jesus is talking about a little bit. He, he has memorized the entire Old Testament. He knows what it says in Isaiah 43. Do you? I didn't either until I studied, so let's go there. <laughs> Sorry. Feeling better now. I got that out of my system. Isaiah, that's the Old Testament. 43. Nicodemus would have known this. Verse uh, 11. I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you. God is saying, listen. You do not get saved by what you can do. You do not get saved by, by, by other gods. See, during this time, if you were not following Judaism, if you were following some other religion, you would have to go to the temple and you would have to offer the gods something. Sometimes you would have to engage in temple prostitution. You'd have to pay money. You'd have to light incense. You have to do all these things to get favor of, from the gods so your crops can grow, so you can have a son, so you can become wealthy in your business, whatever it was. God says, no, 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 no. See, none of that stuff works. I am the one who saves. I am the one who gives. Period. There's nothing that you can do. Only God can do it. And now look in verse 18 of Isaiah 43. God says this, forget the former things. 
Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Jesus has come to usher in the new thing that God is doing. And he says to Nicodemus, don't be so surprised. You know, you know the scriptures. You know this is what God was going to do. And guess what? It's happening right now before your very eyes. Jesus is bringing in the new thing. And he says the new thing is a deeper sense of spirituality, not more doing and doing and doing. And you see, this rebirth of our spirit is a thing that only God can do through Jesus Christ. He tells Nicodemus, man, you you got to be born again. Listen, to live a morally correct life does not bring you closer to God. To live a conservative life does not bring you to God. Follow all the rules of church and church world does not bring you to God. Jesus Christ is what brings us to God. And the renewal of our spirit through the spirit of God is what brings us to God. And all that other stuff, the morality and the ethics and trying to live a a sanctified life, that comes later. But there has to be the rebirth in each one of us. God is doing something new. And he's doing it with the power of his spirit. He says, Nicodemus, all of your tradition, man, not so much. He says in Mark 7, he says, yeah, you guys are really good at just dismissing the commands of God just so you can follow your traditions. Jesus is talking about rebirth from the inside out, not from the outside in. It's about letting go of the old ways and engaging something very personal and very new within our very soul. I believe that God is continuing in his desire, wanting to do something new. I mean, I mean, if we could just get off of the, um, the saved idea for a minute, okay? I, I believe that, 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 that uh, spiritual rebirth is, is how we become, uh, enter into a progressive sanctification, and that's how we, we get to God. You know, that, that idea of saved, as we Christians like to throw around. Let's just, okay, let's just say the spiritual renewal has happened and we are saved, okay? Let's, let's, let's get over that hurdle. But now, does it just end there? Is God just, is he finished there? Or is he continually pressing into us, wanting to do something new to us? Is there a continuation of a rebirth in our soul that God wants to continue to do? Rob Bell said this. He says, Jesus wants to save Christians. I love that line because we think we got it all together. But Jesus wants to save Christians. And I think it's Erwin McManus. Don't quote me on this. But but he said something like, listen, if God... 2,000 years ago, sends Jesus to turn a religion or a faith on its head, one that God actually started. God started with Abraham. He started this whole, this whole faith thing, this whole Judaism thing. And he sends Jesus, and Jesus just comes in and shakes it to its very core, flips it upside down. The things that used to be, no, 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 not so much now. God is issuing in something new. He's bringing in something new. And if we and 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 so two thousand years ago Jesus came in to do that thing. Is the church today 
so arrogant to believe that Jesus or God does not want to shake us up today. That he's not wanting to just this status quo every day, humdrum, I'm going to church again, Christianity. But he wants a spiritual rebirth in his church. He wants people excited for the gospel, to live the gospel every day. And so what in our faith are we holding on to? What in our faith, where is it that we need to be born again of God's spirit? Even, even in the context of, of our church, what are the things that we have held on to as a church that God wants to just do away with and be reborn of his spirit as a community? What are the traditions of our elders that we need to put aside and allow the spirit of God to renew us and make us born again? Some, some say that um, we're not so traditional here. Um, we kind of, you know, Rob alluded last week, we've broken all the rules. And um, we're, we're not a very traditional church. For God's sake, we meet in the Grange, okay? But, but even, even in our untraditionalness, and I don't even think that's a word, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Even, even in that, we have our traditions. We are making our traditions. And are we becoming comfortable in our traditions? And so, what do we have to put aside to allow the Spirit of God to be born again in us? What do we have to put aside to allow the scandal of faith and the scandal of God's kingdom to move in a powerful way here? Soren Kierkegaard said this. I'm going to read this because I want to get it right. He said, Act just once in such a manner that your actions express that you fear God alone and man not at all. And you will immediately, in some measure, create a scandal. Okay, what that means is, if you do just one thing, one thing in your life, and you do it out of complete fear of God, and God is just the most important thing in that, in that situation, and you don't care what anybody else says, not even an iota, you just do not care what they say, you're in this for God. He says, if you do that just once, in some measure, you will create a scandal. Because Jesus is a scandalous Savior. And he came in and he shook the foundations of faith and religion. What is it that we need to be born again? You know, I believe many, many churches are scandalous. But they're scandalous in the wrong way. They're scandalous because they've got the spirit of God in each person there. And they become introverted and they become comfortable and they become traditional and they become stifling, tired, sleepy, and ultimately ineffective. See, that's that's a scandal in and of itself. So what is it for us? What is it for, I mean, in our desire to be different, 
are we in danger of becoming the same? And so, this is what we're going to do. Um, on June 28th, there's, um, it's national, oh my goodness, we're being bombed day. I think it's called Homeland Security Day or something like that. And um, no, we're not really being bombed, don't worry. And every year for many, many years, um, the Southington Ham Radio Operators Association, LLC, PDQ, whatever, they come here and they do this whole weekend of making sure that we're safe. Um, through um, kind of grassroots ham radio stuff. And uh, they're going to be here. They're going to be downstairs. And uh, um, they're going to bring a lot of equipment. It's really noisy. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be good. They're going to be here from like Friday to Sunday afternoon. And I'm trying to, we were trying to just, you know, figure out what, what are we going to do? I mean, we, I called them. They said, listen, we'll, we'll shut the place down. We'll shut it down for you guys. We understand you're a church. We don't want to be noisy. I'm like, well, no, that's kind of, I'm thinking, how can we work with them? And so, and so this, is, this is what we're going to do on June 28th, okay? It's a Sunday. This is what we're going to do. We're going to cancel church. I know, easy. I'm going to start you off little here, okay? He does. I discussed it with him. And I had to convince him, but he finally bought in. He's like, man, I should never let that tattoo go on. Anyway, so we're going to cancel church, all right? And it's not a free day. It's not a hoo-hoo, I'm sleeping in, going fishing, going whatever. No, 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 no. It's a day to do what Jesus called the disciples to do in Luke chapter 10. Go out into the world and do stuff. And then... We're going to do that in the morning, right? From like, I don't know, 8 to 12-ish. And then we're going to meet back here at 1230. We're going to have a picnic. We're going to tell God stories. We're just going to hang out. We're going to get together. And we're going to barbecue. And we're going to eat. And we're going to drink. And we're going to be merry. Fine. But but here's the thing. This is not. This is about going, all right, cancel church? Like to actually serve? Yes. We're going to start out with a little scandal. And please, don't think that this is a week off. It's not. I'm asking everyone that unless you've died and gone to heaven or you're in another country, to be here engaged and involved. More of my people. (laughs) I love this town. We're going to do things like... um, Acts 4 is getting 100 beds. People in Waterbury don't have beds. And they need people to deliver these beds into these homes and deliver furniture. We need some young, strapping gentlemen with muscles and stuff to deliver beds and to deliver furniture. Acts 4 is getting ready for a summer of giving away clothes. They need sorting. And we want people to go over there and sort clothes with them. We have the opportunity to go into a homeless shelter on a Sunday morning, on that Sunday morning, and feed the homeless shelter clients breakfast and talk and walk and engage with them for a few hours. I want to get the kids down to the Summit Nursing Home and just do something down there with, with, with the clients. Maybe just for a couple hours because my son has a tension span of like six to eight minutes after that he lost them. But, but, I mean, but you can engage them. And then you know what? Let's invite those people down there to our picnic. Let's invite, let's invite the ham radio people here and say, listen, we're not going to ask you to shut down. We know what you're doing is important. And so why don't you join us for some hot dogs and hamburgers? And maybe, maybe you know some people in your neighborhood um, that are not Christian folk. 
that need something done around their house. Let's get some teams of people out there just because. Let's begin to create the scandal that Jesus has called us to. And then after all of these things are done, Amy has done a great job at making a big sign up back there. We need a picnic crew here. We need Acts 4 crew. We need, we need people that know how to make a lot of eggs. And, and we have to transport it over there. So it's an early morning. It's going to be a labor of love. But let's, and, and if I could use this, and I know I can, let's get off our butts. One T and two. And let's engage the scandal that Christ has ushered in. And so I need to hear from you. I need to hear of ideas that you, you know, there's, a, there's something we can do here. There's something we can do there. We've got some in place, but I want everyone to join us in this. And I want everyone to come back and just be together. I mean, when, when Jesus sent those people out and they came back, man, he gathered them up and they sat around a fire and they told stories. And what do you say? Jesus is like, man, I saw Satan fall from the sky. Because those are the things that push back the darkness. It's the scandal of God's kingdom. It's the scandal of faith lived outside the church walls. Will you join me in that? Please. Let's pray. God, we recognize the work that you're doing in each one of our lives. We recognize... um, the passion that you have for people, the love that you have for people. We recognize your love for us. And now, God, strengthen us to go out and create a scandal for the kingdom of God. Amen. Forgive an offering. The joy box is in the back. Have a great week.